Yes, this morning we get to celebrate baptism. And I want to tell you that water in Scripture is used on multiple occasions or appears on multiple occasions around redemption or cleansing. People of God passed through the Red Sea on their way to the Promised Land. The waters of Noah literally washed the earth. And throughout Scripture, water is used as this picture of cleansing, of taking away our sin. The Apostle Paul literally compares baptism to being buried and raised again, to being washed and being cleansed. And so I'm going to invite Jalicia. See, I said it right. And if your family wants to stand with you, that is perfectly okay. It's up to them. If they just want to watch, if they want to stand next to you, they can. This is Jalicia Chanel Ott. She is going to be baptized today, professed faith... A short while ago, a couple of years. Yeah, okay. But she wants to be faithful to the idea that, see, now they're coming. They're like, yeah, we got to be with our girl. That's right. So we're going we're gonna to baptize Jalicia this morning. About to get a little wet. Is that okay? All right. Got to do that. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Wow. The truth of the gospel offered in those words, right? Jalicia, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? Let's pray. Eternal Father, your mighty acts of salvation have been made known through water. From the moving of your spirit on the waters of creation to the deliverance of your people through the flood of the Red Sea, in the fullness of time you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of the womb, baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of death and resurrection, to make disciples of all nations. Pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water. And Jalicia, she receives it. To wash away her sin and clothe her in righteousness through, their, through her life. That dying and being raised with Christ, she may share in, in Jesus' final victory. Through the same name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. <laughs> Come a little closer there. So we don't, yeah, there we go. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> Jalicia Chanel Ott, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Told you. The Holy Spirit work within you, that being born through water and spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. one of the reasons we do church, people. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your gift, that you pursued us with your love, 
that You sent Your Son, that You sent Your Spirit to be with us, to renew us, to revive us, to transform us. Lord, we celebrate with Alicia this morning. We are thankful for the work you're already doing in her life and will continue to do. And we praise you and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just to catch you up, because a few of you might have missed a week or two, we're in the middle of a series called The Art of Worship. And what we're talking about is how we build, or what are some practices that create a life of worship beyond Sunday morning? What are the rhythms, what are the responsibilities of being a follower of Jesus that translate into how you live Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday morning? We know on Sunday morning we come to church and we celebrate sacraments, and we sing, and we pray, and we give, and we fellowship one another. Sunday morning's easy. But how do you live as a faithful follower of Jesus Monday through Saturday? Now these rhythms are obviously not an exhaustive list, but there are three that we're focusing on for some teachings of Luke. The first one we talked about a couple weeks ago was love of neighbor. And we use the parable of the Good Samaritan to say that the neighbor is the person God puts in front of you and the opportunity presented to your ability and even sacrificially giving and loving the world so that they can see God's love demonstrated. You've got to figure out how to fit that in to the world. Has God given you blessings of wealth? Has God given you blessing of time? Has God given you a gift that can love, demonstrate God's love to others? And then last week we talked about either being Mary or Martha. And how do you balance spending time with Jesus and doing stuff on mission for Jesus? How does that work? Because we all agree, we're like, hey, if I could just camp out, read my Bible with some coffee eight hours a day, I'd be good with that. Like, how do you figure out how to work spiritual life into regular life? And we talked about the fact that it's really, you're, either you're Mary or you're Martha, and you've got to be Mary for a little while to go and be Martha, to have the power to go and serve. And it is a question of priorities. Do I need some time at the feet of Jesus as a, in the position of a disciple? Or is it time for me to stop camping out and reading my Bible and actually go live out the gospel God has called me to live. And what does that even look like in a workplace? Well, today we're going to wrap this little rhythm pattern up with prayerful dependence on God. Now, I'm telling you all that because the next few weeks, we're going to have, you'll see, because next week is exam slam, which means if you're not familiar with Connection, when you come to church, we'll have tables everywhere in here. Don't be thrown off by that. We'll still worship, but this will be turned into a massive study hall for our university students. And so we will have church sitting around round tables. We'll just we'll make your snack that much easier, right? Place for your coffee, place for Jesus. It's all good. But we're going to have some table discussions and some interactive discussions about how to put these three rhythms to practice in your own life. So I will teach for a little while, but then we're going to really share and learn from each other. How do you practice being Mary? How do you practice being Martha? What have you done to demonstrate love to neighbor? How in the world do you have this great... Because you know those people that have great prayer lives. You know the people. When you run into them and the first thing they say, well, let's just pray about that right now. Or when you hear them pray, you're just like, how did they ever learn to pray like that? And why can't I pray like that kind of thing? Like You know those people that have those gifts. If you've met them, if, you, if, you know, if you've met them, you know what I'm talking about. 
And so we're going to share with each other over the next few weeks what that looks like. How can we really put this stuff into practice? So you could argue that counting today in the last two weeks, we've been Mary for three weeks, right? And over the next three weeks, we're going to learn how to be Martha with this stuff. We've been sitting at the feet of Jesus on these rhythms, and the next three weeks, we're going to be Martha on how to put it into practice. Okay? All right. There's your intro. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. This is verses 1 through 13. And Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray and what to pray and all that stuff. We'll, get, we'll listen to what Jesus has to say. He was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring, bring us to the time of trial. He said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not, do not bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because, it, because he is his friend, at least because of your persistence, he will get up and give whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given, given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who searches, finds. For everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who is, who is a, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if a child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? All right, so we've got, he's, he's got three things he's teaching about prayer in some brackets here. And the first section is kind of obvious. The first four verses, he's talking about what to pray. It's the Lord's Prayer. You probably recognize that if you've been around church at all your life. It's our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I mean, there it is. He's given some structured prayer. Now, what's interesting is the way it leads in, it says Jesus was praying, and then his disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray the way John taught his disciples to pray. Now, that's a little bit of a hint that while this is, not, this is, not a, this is the only way to pray, or the only word you should pray, because we obviously pray all kinds of things all the time, that John and his disciples had some, what we call liturgical prayers that they always prayed together. Because he says, teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples to pray. And so what Jesus is giving them is a corporate form of prayer for him and his followers. That's why we pray the Lord's Prayer in church on a regular basis. We've been called to pray that specific prayer as a practice, as a body of Christ prayer. Notice it's not a personal prayer. It says, our Father. If this was how you're supposed to pray individually, then you would have thought he would have said, pray my Father who art in heaven. Have you ever noticed that the pronoun is plural? Give us our daily bread. There's a corporate, practiced body of Christ form of prayer. So when he says, what, what, what do we pray? How do we pray? This is, this is, here's the forms. Now, it's not just 
formulaic. In fact, if you go read Matthew's gospel, the wording's a little different. And probably as you heard me read it, you're like, didn't, wasn't there some stuff in there that we say in church that wasn't in there? There's different forms. So it's not scripted like, this is exactly how you have to pray all the time. But it does provide some themes. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, hallowed. Fancy church word for glorify God. So there's your theme. Give God praise. Give God glory. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That whole part. That is, we're praying for heaven here. We're praying for Jerusalem to come down. We're praying for God's will to be done the way it's done in heaven. You think anybody disobeys God in heaven? Ever? That prayer is asking for God's will to be done in this life. Asking for heaven on earth. Not someday. For heaven to be a reality in the way that we live with each other is part of the theme there. Our daily bread. Give us, give us, plural, our daily bread. Provision is the theme there. God, I need the basics of life. I need to be sustained. I need the power. I need the strength. I need to grow. Provide me daily what I need to be who you've called me to be is the essence of that theme. Now, see, I could word, reword this prayer all over the place, right? We've already reworded it. Not just give us our daily bread. Hey, God, I really need today to work. <laughs> that could be, that's an honest prayer, right? I need the strength to get through this afternoon. Daily bread. It's this idea of every day, as we say at Connection, God is always with us. And of course, then he says, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our debtors, depending on which, which translation and which tradition you're a part of. They all mean the same thing. But there's a theme of confessing your sin to God. I've messed up again. <laughs> and there's this practice built into the institutional prayer that says confession of sin is meant to be a regular rhythm of our faith. But then it gets a little more complicated for us, doesn't it? And help me forgive those who have sinned against me. That's harder. Hey, Jesus, forgive me. Cool. I can do that. Help me forgive them. Pray it and mean it. Good luck. You know, it's hard. It's harder to really forgive somebody else the way God's forgiven you. But there's your motivation. If God's forgiven you for all the stuff you know you've done, that's the power and that's the motivation for forgiving others. It's demonstrating God's love to them the way God has demonstrated love and grace to you. To the level that you want to be forgiven is what Jesus teaches in another place. He says, to the degree that you want to be forgiven by your Father, forgive others. So if you have a hard time with that, just saying. Right? Then he says something very interesting. If we, we could do a whole further study on this. He says, lead us not into temptation or take us away from trial. Keep us from... Does God lead us into temptation? I think the theme there is guidance and protection from trial and from sin. Whole other sermon series, right? How does God keep us in the midst of trial? How does God keep us in the midst of temptation? How does God protect us from sin and we still sin anyway? Maybe that'd be a good sermon series. It's deep, but it's this idea of dependence on God again for not only forgiveness of my sin, but protection from sinning again. 
is the essence of that prayer. Hey, I've just asked for forgiveness because I messed up. Now keep me from doing it again. Anybody relate to that one? Like, I know I've repented this before, but, you know, like there are sins in our life that kind of tend to show back up again and again and again. And that can lead us to be a little spiritually frustrated. I've been trying to beat this for a long time. I must not be a good Christian. I must not be a Christian because I can't beat it. Maybe it's because you're trying to do it under your own power instead of praying these words and accepting Christ's power. Did you notice the liturgy when we were doing the baptism? It's like, do you accept the power of God in your life to resist sin and temptation? That's what the Lord's Prayer does. When we say, forgive us and lead us not into temptation, lead us not into temptation is we accept the power to resist sin. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, one of the first verses I ever memorized. I can only paraphrase now. <laughs> no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But here's the key part. But God is faithful that when you are tempted, He will provide a way out, a way under it, a way out from under it, a way through it. When you are tempted, He will give you the power to resist. So they say, Jesus, what should we pray? He says, glorify God, ask for provision, ask for forgiveness when you sin, ask for the power to forgive your friends, ask for protection from sin and temptation, and see God's kingdom done around the rest of the world. There's some themes for prayer right there. If you ever struggle with prayer, and you're like, I don't know what to pray. First of all, you could literally just pray those words. But you could also put those words in your own words or tie them into your own circumstances. Maybe it's a particular sin that you're asking for resistance power with or forgiveness from and power to resist again. <laughs> Whatever it is, apply it to your own situation. Express it your own way. But at its essence, it is looking to God for those things. That's what prayer does. Does God need, key phrase here, need you to pray? Important theological truth. God doesn't need anything. He's completely self-sufficient. In every way, he's perfect, including relationally. He doesn't need anything. So when we pray, we ask for these things, by default, we're submitting those things to God and we're relinquishing control of those things. We're relinquishing control of provision. Relinquishing sin in our life and evil in our life. Relinquishing hatred toward our neighbor. We're surrendering when we pray. We're confessing our Father who art in heaven. Who's dad? Who's the authority in our life? We are by nature, whatever we pray, saying, God, you're, you're, there's a God and it's not me. <laughs> that your will be done, not mine. Is essentially, we talked about this last week, essentially what, Je or before, what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hey, if there's any other way, Lord, that we can get through this, let's do that. But not my will, your will be done. And I mentioned the fact that's Jesus being human going, if there's any other way besides crucifixion, if we could work out salvation some other way, let's do that. That's human Jesus going, I don't want to go through this. And I know we could relate. But what does he echo that prayer with? But your will be done. So you have the Son submitting to the triune Father. 
in that moment. And that's what we do when we pray. So what do we pray? Then there's how to pray, verses 5 through 8. He tells a story. He says, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother, do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are already in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything, because he's his friend, at least because of your persistence, he will give up and give him, get up, give up, get up, sorry. He will get up and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus paints a picture of how to pray. And he gives like a parable story or an illustration story. He says, suppose it's the middle of the night and a guest shows up at your house and you don't have anything in the fridge. Go to your neighbor and ask them for some food to give to your friend who just showed up at your house. Now, there's some cultural stuff overlaid into this story because there was a Jewish component that says, by Mosaic law, if somebody shows up at your house and says, as a guest, hospitality is the deal, right? You have to take care of them. So there's some religious follow God compulsion to, I don't have any bread, I got to do something. And Jesus says, go to your neighbor and ask them for bread. <laughs> and then he paints this picture of the neighbor who's like, dude, I'm already in bed. You know what I mean? And, it, and it's this image. He, said, he says, the doors are already locked. The kids are in here with me asleep. Can't help you. If you know anything about their houses back then, one big room, one shared bed. So the whole family is asleep is the picture being described in this story. And so to get out of the bed is to wake up the kids. The door being locked, it's not like, oh, turn the lock. They, had, they would have big bars they would slide over. This took work. So this request to get bread, it's like, I gotta wake up the whole family, gotta light a candle somehow, I gotta undo the, it's putting the neighbor out to do it, right? And he's like, forget you, I can't do this. But then he adds to it, but because he is your friend and because you are persistent, you will get what you need. Because God is your friend and because you're persistent in acting, Get what you need. Now it's not like God's like going, yeah, the doors are locked. I'm not helping you. It's a it's a metaphorical picture, okay? That He's trying to say, if we are persistent in our prayer, if we are bold enough, you see, this idea that if I go next door in the middle of the night to wake up the next neighbor who just I just got woke up by the guest and I got to wake, that took some courage and some boldness. The story creates some tension. Should I go ask my neighbor and wake them up too, or should I not? Take some courage to go put them out. Take some persistence to get them to come to the door. There's an attitude of prayer built into this story. It says, be bold, be persistent, and don't worry about how they'll respond to the request. Ask anyway and often. So it's not that God's like, yeah, I don't think I want to help you today. It's this picture of don't be afraid to ask God for anything. And keep asking God for what you need. That's the how. So here's the petitions. Be bold in how you ask. And keep asking. And keep asking. By your persistence, you will get what you need. Now, if you assume that prayer is shaping your attitude of surrender towards God, 
And that boldness and per persistence is the kind of the how you ask. And what is that really doing? It is shaping your heart towards boldness and persistence. The what you get is not the point of the story. Although, by the way, side note, three loaves of bread in the story. That was the accepted daily provision of bread. So this follows our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us our daily bread. In the very next story, he says, go and ask them for a daily provision of bread. See how these are connected? So this is not, hey, we got to throw a party for the new guest and I need some chips and some nachos and some Cokes. Not at midnight. This is, <laughs> this is asking for a daily provision for their, for their guest to take care of them for the next day. Which, by the way, by the time you get up, then you can work out getting bread for the next day. The next day, you can go and do what you need to do. Right? So, but what happens is we're surrendering by praying, and then when we're persistent and we're bold, guess how our heart becomes? Persistent and bold. Maybe not just in prayer. Maybe even in how we follow Jesus. We become bold in our faith. And we become persistent in sharing what God has provided for us. So it's a how, right? We got the what, we got the how. And then there's this attitude that's inherent too. Verses 9 through 13. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For Knock and the door will be opened. After the other story about knocking. Okay. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. For everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. If there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will be given a snake instead of a fish, or if they ask for an egg, will be given a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how much more that how much more then how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Okay, so ask, seek, knock is in the next little section. Right. It's this. There's something in there. He's basically a, this is the application of the parable about the neighbor. Knocking on a door, asking for something, seeking something. Jesus is going, OK, here's the story. Now let's apply the story. Ask, seek and knock. Asking is the invitation to pray. Our father who art in heaven, ask God. It's an invitation, literally an invitation to pray. In seeking is an invitation to pursue God. The whole story is pursue God, right? The go, to, go, in, go inconvenience the neighbor. You are pursuing the neighbor. So he says seek. It's an invitation to pursue God about anything. And then this is, this is kind of, this is the interesting thing. Knocking. The door will be opened it has a metaphorical feel of entering into God's presence. So when you go to pray and you surrender your will and you ask persistently and you ask boldly, the door will be opened and you will be in the very presence of God. Ask, seek, and knock. In fact, the very end, the end of the passage, he says, ask and it'll be given. Seek and you will find. Knock. And the door will be opened. There's some parallels there. Right? If you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, you will enter God's presence. 
But all of these are a prayerful expression of, God, I depend on you for all of this. For all of this. And why? How? What? How? Why? Why can we depend on God for all of this? The very end of the passage, 11 through 13, he says, How many of you, if your kid asked you for a fish, would give him a snake? Or an egg, it would give him a scorpion? And then Jesus almost has this little back end thing. For those of you who are evil, thanks, Jesus, right? But he says, Ask for the, how many of your kids come to you and say, I want this, would give them something that would hurt them? Or not give them what they need? Or not provide for them? Of course you would. It's kind of what Jesus is saying, right? And if you're not even perfect at being a parent, and you can get that part right, how much more can your Father in Heaven meet everything you ask for? Or even better, be trusted to give you what you actually need. Because that's what's happening in the dynamic, right? Ask for a fish, get a snake. That's not what I need. And it's dangerous. <laughs> and painful. And awful. And scary for some people. Right? God's, so if I go to God boldly and persistently, He's not going to give me a snake instead of a fish. Metaphorically speaking here. But I think sometimes the reason we're not bold in our prayer is that's exactly what we're afraid of. Think about it. How many of you said, hey, I want to be a missionary. Don't send me to wherever, you know, like, I'll stay here. <laughs> like, we want to ask, but we want to qualify the ask. Hey, God, make me a better evangelist. Just don't send me on the mission field to, like, Middle East or something. Like, we have this, like, qualifying thing. Because we're afraid. Have you ever heard this phrase, be careful what you ask for? You're like, don't pay for patience. He'll give you trials to build the patience. You ever heard that stuff bannered around church? Behind that somewhere is this attitude, if I go to God with boldness and persistence, He might not give me what I asked for. He might give me something that will make me miserable. If your dad can get your gifts right, how much more can your Heavenly Father get you exactly what you need? Be trusted to meet your needs. Why are we afraid to ask? Might He give us something different than we asked for? Yes. Will it be a scorpion instead of an egg? Of course not. Might He get you exactly what you need in a way you didn't think of? Absolutely. Happens all the time. But do you still get exactly what it is the Heavenly Father knew better than you? Absolutely. God's not a wishing well and He's not a genie. I'd like a million dollars, please. That's not how it works. I wish. <laughs> but that's what you'd be doing. You'd be wishing, not praying. If that's how it worked, I'm feeling a couple million bucks for today. If that's how it worked, we'd all be praying all the time. Right? But if I ask God for my provision, for what I need, for my daily bread, I can trust my Heavenly Father more than I can trust my earthly Father to provide for me. Exactly what I need. And so the why should I depend on God for prayer is simply that. Because He can be trusted to give us Everything that we need. And exactly when we need it. Now if you tie all this and you start thinking about the three rhythms that I was talking about. God has called us to love neighbor. And to go into the world and demonstrate godly love to everyone we come in contact with. And He has called us to spend some time with the Father listening to Jesus. That was kind of the rhythm part, essence of last week, right? 
that we need to hear from God. We need to read Scripture. We need to listen to what God has to do because we're seeking His guidance. And in prayer, this rhythm of prayer and how that works and when that works, and 1 Thessalonians says pray without ceasing. Figure that one out. Maybe that's another sermon for another day too. Pray without ceasing, but pray in dependence on God, asking boldly, persistently, and trusting His responses. Those are the three rhythms, right? But they're interrelated. Living in an art, artful expression of worship means loving our neighbor, guided by what we hear from Jesus, empowered by bold and persistent prayer as we do it. Did you catch that? We're supposed to go and love and serve and do what Jesus called us to do, but if we go without listening to Jesus, then we try to do without guidance, and we mess it all up. If we go and do, and we don't bathe what we're about doing in prayer, then we have no power to accomplish what we're trying to do. So you can't have one of any of these three without the other. If I just sit at Jesus' feet and never do anything, I can't do what God's called me to do. Sooner or later, you've got to stop studying evangelism or studying the Bible and actually go and do. <laughs> that was the very end of the, Lord, of the Good Samaritan parable. It's like, go and do likewise. Love neighbor is not a good theory. It's an art to living. What can I do to demonstrate God's love to everybody I come in contact with today? It might be through your job. I can be loving and compassionate to the people I encounter at work, even if they've made me mad. <laughs> you know what? It might be I need some time at the feet of Jesus because I'm just burnt out and I need some guidance and I need some refreshment and I need that stuff. And you've got to figure out how to work that rhythm in, which means you might have to plan some Sabbath for your life. Anybody like me who's like, oh yeah, I probably ought to plan some vacation at some point. Right? I've got, I, had to, I get two weeks a year. I haven't taken a vacation in 10. So that's 20, I'm just done. <laughs> I quit, you know. We got to plan some rhythm into our life. Jesus did. How many times in the gospel do we get, Jesus went away to pray. The disciples didn't even know where he went. And then he comes back. If Jesus needed some downtime with the Father, guess how much we needed? If Jesus needed it, okay? If the Son of God had to go, yep, I need a quiet time. See you all in a couple weeks. Or whatever the time frame was, the Bible doesn't say, then we definitely do. Because that's where we get our guidance from. And then our expressions of dependence on God is where we get the power to go and do. Otherwise, we're either misguided or powerless in our efforts to follow God. And I don't know about you, I'd like to do what He wants me to do, and I'd like to have the strength to do it. And figuring out how to practice that and live in that dependence on God attitude, listening to the Scriptures and what Jesus has to say, and sometimes He speaks through people that He puts in our life, let's just be honest then I can live a life of worship beyond Sunday morning. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us to love the way you've loved us. Help us to do it in the way that you tell us to do as we listen to you. And help us to do it not under our own strength or our own wisdom or our own ability, 
but by the power of your Holy Spirit alive in us. Help us to depend on you. Help us to run to you persistently and boldly and with complete dependence on you in everything that we do Sunday to Saturday. In Jesus' name, amen.